This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets finally make their Premier League debut. The boys deal with toe injuries and rib injuries and a certain boy done good. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of season eight of the Known and Never podcast. Now, before we start, a little bit of housekeeping for you. Following last week's new episode, I was very kindly reminded by Statman Dave, who else, that this is in fact season eight of the Known and Never podcast and not season seven. Um, Apparently, we had a different provider for our podcast um, hosting way back in season one. Um, I didn't have to deal with technical issues back then. I think uh, young Adam Howarth used to do it for us. And I, um, I'd forgotten that we had a different provider in season one. So when I was looking at our stats and it said this was season eight, uh, season seven, sorry, it's actually season eight. So there you go, listeners. Welcome back to episode two of season eight of the Known and Never podcast. And this week we are reviewing um, cup games. We're reviewing Premier League games, we're looking at injuries, we're looking at transfers, so much to talk about. But of course, I am your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week are regular panellists, Tom uh, Whitaker and, drumroll. I don't hide, it's, I never get invited on, then you get Robbie all excited Kovac, when I... Uh, Robster! <laughs> you get, you, you, you get all excited when already. I come back, so that's why I take it. I go on holiday for a few weeks. <gasps> I'm like the Johan Berg Gunmanson of the podcast. Lies, lies. I come, I come back here and there. So this is what it is. It's just again. ego boosters. Crack it. Dawn, it's not even funny. Uh, Thomas, Tom, Thomas, are you a Thomas? That's a good point, actually. Tom, are you a Thomas? Or are you just a Tom? Thomas is what my mum calls me when I'm in trouble. But, uh, right. I'm <laughs> I'd better not go down that line. Tom, welcome back again. Second week running. How's your week been? Yeah, very good. Uh, some some enjoyable football to watch, I would say. More enjoyable than I was expecting, so that's that's been a boon. Yes, I would very much agree with that. And that is a good tone to start this, this, this podcast. Let's dive straight into looking at week one for us of the Premier League. And of course, the Clarets were away at Leicester City. Bit of a tough fixture, but we also had a buy in week one um, owing to some fixture congestion and, and obviously some cup games going on. So it was the first chance that the Clarets had to sample 2020-2021 Premier League football. Um, Tom, it was always going to be a difficult ask to go away to Leicester, who are really pushing themselves to, to, to go for Champions League football, never mind top six, um, and try and get something away. But actually... Certainly in the first half, I think the Clarets gave a really good account of themselves. <laughs> Tom, that's for you. Hello, Tom. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I literally... Hello, <laughs> listeners. I have panellists, I assure you. I just don't know where they are. I just went to get a strep, so then I assumed you were going to get a Robbie first. I apologize. Let us start again. <laughs> oh, no. You had to get a strep, so. Are you under yeah. the weather? 
No, I started off. I've had a bit of a sore throat today at work because uh, I talk on the phone a lot. And then <laughs> when I started talking, then you'll notice I started coughing. So I thought I'll just sneakily get one while Robbie answers. And then <laughs> oh no! Well, you, you you go and get your streps on. I'm going to speak to Robbie. I, I'm going to speak to Robbie. You you go on mute and and, and massage your poor throat. Um, nice Robbie. <laughs> oh God! I feel like the Wicked Witch of the West. I'm bringing and dragging you all on every week. And while you dying through colds um robert obviously tom mentioned in his early comments there that he was uh, wasn't expecting to see any as enjoyable football as he did so posing the question to you um, i actually thought the clarets gave a very good account of themselves yeah it was a um i actually thought it was actually a really good performance i think obviously we're disappointed with the, with the goals we conceded i think those kind of goals they're not really I think if Tarkovsky or Ben Mee are in that back four, I don't think we concede them types. Um, I think the first one in particular, um, I think Jimmy Dunn shows a bit of naivety, a bit of inexperience, and he dives in. Charlie Taylor en- ends up then falling over it, falling over Jimmy Dunn, and then it's just a bit of a shambles from there. Um, but, yeah, I thought in the midfield too, I thought Westwood and Brownhill played really well. I thought they pressed really high. Uh, Chris Wood, again, I thought was excellent. Jay was feeding off scraps, but he was... Quite busy, and I actually, yeah, like you said, the first half was really pleasing. Um, Robbie Brady looked fit and sharp for for his twenty eight minute cameo or whatever it was, <laughs> and then we lose him again, and it's sort of like. But I thought after that, I thought we lost a bit of impetus as, as, as in terms of like an attacking threat in the first half once Robbie Brady went off. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, actually, the, the latest update on the Brady situation, uh, yes, the Brady situation, sorry, is that it, it's it's a rib injury, he's fractured his rib. Um, I have no idea how long an injury like that's going to be, but surely it's only going to be a matter of a few weeks. It's not going to be a lengthy injury, you wouldn't thought. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I think it depends. I think Sean Dyke said in his quote that it depends on like the pain. Um, I think it's more to do with I think when you stood up and stuff I think it's you don't really feel it I think it's more when you're you're turning and twisting that you feel the pain of it and it could be quite severe Um, but yeah hopefully it'll be weeks rather than months um, because he did look he He looked looked an awful lot closer to the Robbie Brady we saw two three years ago than maybe we've seen in the last 12 to 18 months where he's looked yeah, he's great. looked completely well off the pace. He hasn't really looked match sharp, but he, he looked busy. Um, he was going into tackles. Um, even like he had a shot and goal with like uh, it was. I think it was a simple save for the goalkeeper, just like a volley. But the technique behind it just showed that he is. You could tell that he's technically gifted, and he's definitely one of our better players. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think. I think given how long he's been injured, I think we've I think we've kind of forgotten just how good Robbie Brady is. And and I know some fans get on his back because he has been injury prone and there's been a few times where he's maybe not quite put in the effort that maybe Burnley fans expect expect of him sometime. He might have just been having an off game, you know what I mean? And I think you know, I think Brady kind of got lumped into the Brady Hendrick partnership at times and, and, and a few fans were lumping in on him and just being a bit <coughs> Excuse me. Oh my God, it's catching. <laughs> Tom, you've managed to give me your cough through the podcast. Um, and I think we've actually forgotten the quality that Robbie Brady has. Yeah, I think um, another thing with Robbie Brady is that a lot of people, obviously we talk about his injuries quite a lot, but majority of his injuries he's got have been proper, like serious injuries. Like obviously like the knee. Yeah, true. Like the, that's, is it his second rib injury now with us? And it's sort of like, it's not as if, it's not as if yeah. it's hamstrings and muscles going. Like the proper, like genuine injuries, which you can't really like yeah. prepare for. So I think I think he gets a little bit of unfair stick, but yeah, if we can get him back fit this season, obviously it takes a lot of pressure off Dwight McNeil because it's more quality and more quality from set some set pieces as well. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think a lot of the positivity around Brady and, and in his performance, particularly this game, Robbie, was down to? the small squad we've got surely Brady must now be looking at this and thinking I've got a chance here you know I've been stuck on the bench I've been in and out of injuries this is my opportunity now to actually play regular football that must make a difference yeah sure and he's probably looked at it from uh, a recruitment point of view as well that we haven't done any done any business yet so if he if he felt like he was going to be you know a backup winger he probably felt like we would have brought somebody in by now. You would have thought it would have been a priority position. So Robbie Brady yeah. probably does eye up that right-hand side in particular and go, I'm going to start there. That's going to be my starting role in this team. 
Yeah. Well, it, it, I think you're right. And I think, you know, we talked last week about um, how Eric Peters was very much an unsung hero at the end of last season and he really stepped up and helped us out of a hole when we were very injury prone. Um, as much as I'd like to, to credit him with being an unsung hero, I wouldn't like to spend a lot of this season having poor um, Eric Peters having to play in midfield on the wing. Um, it's certainly not a desirable position we found ourselves in at the club in terms of personnel um, and having to patch up a side, but we'll come on to that later on in the show. Um, but Tom, obviously one of the other shifts in personnel that we had to have, uh, we knew that Kevin Long was going to be in the side because of Ben Mee's still a few weeks off being back yet. Um, but we had uh, the mystery surrounding Tarkovsky's tour which was um, announced before, well, we got it before the Sheffield United game midweek for the Cup and before the Leicester game, um, in that James Tarkovsky is not in the match squad because he's recovering from a toe injury. Cue much suspicion, Tom. Yeah, it's, it's not um, the kind of injury that you hear about very often, is it? I think Dyer said it was a badly bruised toe, which I can't remember too many instances of, of players being out with badly bruised toes before. Obviously, very unfortunate time, and it's a shame that they couldn't maybe get a photo of his badly bruised toe, put it on the Twitter feed, just to set all our minds at ease. <laughs> Not that I particularly want to see it, but it would have <laughs> that might have been um, it might have made the whole thing slightly more believable. Um, did you believe it? Did you believe it, Tom? Or did you think it was rubbish? Did you think he was out the door? Well, when they said before the Sheffield United game he was injured, I thought, well, it could be that he's got a very slight knock, and they're thinking it's a League Cup game. We're not going to bother risking yeah. him, and I thought. He'll be all right for Saturday, and then when he wasn't all right for Saturday, I thought, "Oh, oh dear." Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think thought, we all did. <laughs> be very surprised, you know. It's, it's surprising to me that he couldn't play a Premier League game because he had a bruised toe. Now, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm cynical. Maybe it's the kind of horrific toe bruising that the likes of which we'd never seen before, and it's imperative that he didn't get it stood on or whatever. Else, he'd been out for a very long time. Maybe that's the case, who knows. But no, I have to say, when I heard that he was out of a Premier League game, a big Premier League game where we're backs against the wall, we've already got Ben Mee missing. Uh, yeah. That did not sound like the James Tarkovsky of, of old to me. So, yeah, you have to question whether something else was going on behind the scenes with that, I think, not to be cynical. Yeah, I think it made it worse for me that Ben Mee was out. Um, I think if Ben Mead had been playing, I would have been more inclined to accept the the toe injury because I thought, well, we've already got Ben Mee. You know, Long can cover for a game and it's better not to risk him. But for talking not to play that game when we were starting our first Premier League game of the season with, and actually we'll come on to this in a minute, credit to them and bless them both, but Kevin Long and Jimmy Dunn, um, inexperienced playing together and inexperienced in terms of Premier League football and just not as solid a player as me and Tarkovsky are, you would think that, that Tarky would move hell or high water to try and and get to that game. So it definitely, definitely raises suspicion. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Tarky though at the moment, Tom, just because it, it does feel that that has gone off a little bit. It looks like West Ham have given up. Leicester apparently are still monitoring the situation, but haven't really ramped up their efforts to sign him. And according to press releases today, Daesh is saying that he thinks that he might be back for the Millwall game tomorrow, which seems odd to me, because I think if he's recovering from a bruised toe, let's not risk him for a cup game against Millwall. Or do you think he needs a fitness? I don't know. I suppose you could look at it like um, the Sheffield United game. Uh, they seem to sort of treat it almost a bit like a, the last preseason friendly before the league. It wasn't sort of played at 100 miles an hour, and you could say that probably that did get some fitness into into some legs. So maybe they'd look at it the same way and think, well, he's missed a couple of games. Perhaps give him a run out in this in this game. We're, again, we're probably not going to be at 100 miles an hour. So yeah, maybe that's the the thinking. Um, maybe there's been some sort of development. Maybe the, he's got a bit of an idea since the weekend that. Okay, there isn't going to be a bid in this transfer window. I think I agree with you. I think it's maybe a similar situation to what we've had with with Daesh in the past. There's probably if if the right offer came in, he wouldn't say no to leaving. But if West Ham, I mean, like I said, I think he'd go to West Ham anyway. But if they're not going to stump up the money, if Leicester aren't willing to part with the money, then there isn't really anywhere for him to go. So we might as well carry on and play for another six months or or a year at Burnley. So if that's the case, then maybe that maybe it's that they're thinking, well, he's he's fit enough now, and maybe it's a bit of a sign to the fans to say, yeah, he's not he's not rushing off. Look, he's going to play in this league yeah, cup game, and I think 
we can probably all agree that if he was willing to step out in the League Cup against Millwall, that's probably an indication that he's not kind of down tools, his head's not switched off or anything like that. He is uh, he's happy to get on with it. So maybe that's the, the thinking as well, a bit of a PR boost from that point of view. That is an excellent point, Tom. And I must admit, that's not something that I thought of. If, if, if Tarky plays tomorrow night, or tonight, if you're listening to this tomorrow, um, for for the Millwall game that would be that would fill my little heart with joy that would be a huge boost um right Robbie moving on then sticking with the Leicester game um we've talked about um whether or not we would have conceded those four goals and how many of those four goals would have gone in with the the Ben Mee James Tarkovsky partnership but I do want to stick on our centre halves because Kevin Long I just I just think he's amazing I think to have that commitment to be a bench player for 10 years of your career, but still come on whenever asked to it and give 100% is just so admirable. We've talked about it so much. Um, And I don't think that Long did anything extraordinary at the weekend, but I also don't think he made too many mistakes. I think he was relatively solid. And I think, you know, we can therefore concentrate on the man of the hour. Little Jimmy Dunn, Premier League debut, bags himself a goal, trips over Charlie Taylor, but otherwise does a pretty solid job. Yeah, I thought he did the, the sort of typical defender's kind of job, slide in terms of, uh, you know, clearing headers and he looked comfortable on the ball. Um, yeah, it would, it would just like, when it come to, when we were really under pressure in terms of like camping mm. our own box, I, I think that's when he inexperienced yeah. show between Long and Jimmy Dunn, where... where is what I, what I was saying before. They're, they're not the type of things we concede when uh, Tarkovsky and Ben Mee are in that back four. It's a lot more, I think they're a lot more composed. So I think we just panicked a little bit more. Um, but I think that's just bound to happen. I think with more game time and more experience, they will just iron themselves out. And I think if Tarkovsky does stay, I'm happy with a backup of Jimmy Dunn and Same. Kevin Long. I think... Um, I think they both. I think they both proved that they can step up. And obviously, when you could, you know what, um, Jimmy, Jimmy Dunn oh, when he scored, he he, he looked so happy. <laughs> he was just, he were, you could tell he was proper buzzing. Yeah. But he, you could tell he was trying to like play it cool yeah, and get back into his position. You were proper, you were proper buzzing, and it was like, like we, we it's, not, it's not something we we like. We see a lot of, obviously, we saw it with like Dwight McNeil when he scored his first goal against West Ham. But it's not like a regular occurrence for us, but the fans to see somebody come through the youth, come through, come yeah. through that youth team and make a Premier League debut and then score on the Premier League debut. So it was actually really nice to see. It and, really was. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, there was a, an awful lot more positives than negatives, despite the uh, defeat. Yeah, no, I agree. I, it was almost like I was nearly as happy for him as I was for, for Vidra last season. But I think Vidra just had a bit more um, history behind him. So I think his goal was a little bit more deserving of going absolutely nuts. But yeah, I was really pleased for Jimmy. He nearly scored earlier on, didn't he? He had that thing. I think he did a head, a head where he kind of like took it off the line rather than putting it in. So I was really pleased for him. Um, I agree with you, actually, Robbie. I, I, for me, I think... In isolation, both Jimmy Dunn and Long are pretty decent backups, but I think both of them need the experience and the leadership of either me or Tarkovsky next to them. Um, Jimmy Dunn next to Ben Mee, for example, will be superb or next to Tarke. Um, and we've already seen how much better Long plays when he's against one of, when he's partnering one of those two rather than on his own. So I think it was just a little bit too much to ask to put both of them in there. Um, and step up, but do you know what? I, 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 you know, I'm, it sounds like I'm being down on them, and I'm really, really not. I think for their level of capability, I think they worked hard. I think they did as well as they possibly can do. And like you say, it was just unfortunately they were against some um, some good strikers and some good movement, and they just lacked that um, clinical um, edge. I think just to stop some of those goals going in. But you know, it's one of those things. We knew it was going to be a struggle facing that Leicester side and uh, you know they, they tried the best and that's all you can ask for um, I think generally speaking Tom I thought the, the the defending was a little static I think that's fair particularly in the second half um, what you often find when you've got Mio Taki in the box is that when you know they'll they'll go to 
attacking players. They'll they'll close the ball down. They'll they'll go in and make those tackles. I found too many times in the game that all of them and the whole back four, not just these two, not just the, the centre halves, were quite static and waiting, inviting the players to run at them rather than taking the initiative, initiative and pushing them out. Um, and I think Charlie Taylor also looked quite rusty as well, which is quite unusual for him. Yeah, I think you make an excellent point on the uh, the blocking of the shots. I think normally Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky are like the two best players in the league when you look at the block stats at the end of the season. Not that I habitually look at the block stats, but if I was to, that's who I'd see at the top. Um, and there wasn't much of that, like you say. I think the ball got passed around him quite a lot. I think a lot of it was fear of Vardy getting in behind. And to be fair, they did quite a good job on Vardy. And there was the one, obviously, the moment you mentioned earlier when uh, he managed to get around Taylor and Dunham, they sort of tripped over each other. Uh, but aside from that, I don't think he really he really got into the game very much. But I think the the payoff of of kind of shuffling him and, and staying deep and not letting him get around them and, and in behind them was that there was a lot of play in front of him. And, and like you say, did it got zipped around them quite a lot, around the corners. Um, and uh, and obviously as a team, we didn't deal with it. Um, Taylor, you're right. I think part of the problem for Taylor was uh, I don't think he got a lot of protection from McNeil. I think it's a part of his game that is probably not is doesn't come naturally to McNeil, especially because he's played central a lot as a young player, and it's something that he did improve last year. But I think he, he was lacking a bit. I don't think, um, especially that new lad uh, Castagne, I think he's called the um, the Belgian fullback that that Leicester just signed. He had quite a lot of room on the right hand side, and the goal, the own goal from Peters came from that. It was the ball Tino's played it across, and uh, and just nobody cuts it out. And you think maybe if uh, we had a bit more kind of discipline on that left-hand side there. It yeah. might have been a bit tighter on him and uh, and we wouldn't have been stretched quite so much. But And it's difficult for Taylor as well because quite often he's he's uh, more of a junior partner in the defence. I think he is younger than Long. He's probably played more games, but he's younger than him. Um, but obviously Tarkovsky and, and me are, are older than him as well. So I think quite often he's maybe looking to them a little bit more and, and he's perhaps trying to get a bit more free reign to, to go on the attack. So perhaps he is... He was kind of caught in in two minds as to whether to bomb on or to, to hang back a bit and protect the uh, the more inexperienced defence. So that's perhaps why he struggled a little, a little bit as well. But I think the main thing you have to remember is Leicester have actually got quite a good team. And uh, yeah, we've been absolutely. to Leicester in the past and we've, we've played sort of top six, top seven clubs in the past. And uh, we've had we've conceded a few with me and Tarkovsky in the team as well. So I don't think I don't think we disgraced ourselves. But obviously, it wasn't there. And a great defensive performance. No, it wasn't. And I think that's a very good point. And I think, you know, we have got an hour's show to fill. And sometimes it can feel when we're analysing games that we are nitpicking a little bit. And because we, we, we need to get into the nitty gritty. And, and some of it's down to, like you say, finding debate points and finding discussion points. And rather than just coming on and saying, yeah, it was good or no, it was naff. Um, but sometimes as well, it's, it's, it's a desire for us all to be the best that we possibly can be and really looking at elements where we think that that players can improve and, and I, I want to stress that I think generally speaking coming away from the game I, I didn't feel dejected I didn't feel like we're relegation fodder I didn't feel worried about the season I've seen quite a lot of football over the last two weeks and I genuinely feel that even with a, a patched up squad there are at least four or five sides in that division who are worse than we are um, I think I forget sometimes because I think as Burnley fans, we're naturally very scared of the bunch and we always think that we're going to get relegated every season because we're worried about transfers, we're worried about money, we're worried about the Dutch bubble bursting and we just think that this fairy tale is going to come to an end. Um, I do think sometimes we forget just how good we are and all you need to do is watch championship football or watch some of the promoted sides um, and you just think, you know what, we are a really good side, we've got some class players and Robbie, Chris Wood has got to be the prime example of that. He is so underrated a striker. Hello, Robbie. I thought that was just me. <laughs> Have you got a sore throat as well, Robbie? Do you want a strep sore? Folks, I think we've lost Robbie. <laughs> Do you know what? He comes on for 20 minutes of a podcast, disappears. Um, I think we've got a bit of a technical uh, issue, I think, listeners. I think young Robbie um, you hear me now? is... Uh, Oh, we can. Welcome yeah, we back. So I, I, I don't know what happened. Maybe my uh, microphone like turned itself off. That was weird. Oh, well. 
Oh, well. Yeah, we were just going to talk about, about Chris Wood. Do I keep picking that back up, Robbie? Our poor listeners this week are going to be thinking, I'm going to keep all of this in. Yeah, do it. I'm going to give them some insight <laughs> to behind the scenes of the Known and Ever podcast. Listeners, most weeks you don't hear all of these little nuggets where it's really quiet and we go, hello, hello, mm-hmm. where is everyone? But I'm going to keep them in this week. It'll be a nice little change. Um, Robbie, before you decided to go AWOL and to put yourself on mute, we asked you to comment on <laughs> young Chris Wood and how underrated he is as a player. Would you care to comment, sir? Yeah, he's, he's, he's certainly rated in terms of like your typical like target men. I think in terms of um, football fans outside of Burnley, you probably won't think too much of Chris Wood. I think uh, I think his hold up play is right up there. I think obviously he plays on the on the on the shoulder as well because he he gets the uh, the golden flag award almost every Premier League season. But um, yeah, I think he's a he's he's a, a top top striker. Well, not a top top striker, but in terms of He's 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 returned with goals. I think it was, what fourteen Premier League goals last season in thirty Premier League games. I think it was, which is an impressive return. When you think like players, I, I don't know what. Try to think there. Who's the West Ham striker? Sebastian Haller got like a couple. Joel Linton only got a couple, and they they were like thirty forty million pound strikers. And you got Chris Wood, who's got uh, double figures in every mm-hmm. single Premier League season for us, and we're a team who don't. We don't score an awful lot of goals, so I think he's and I think how many how many Chris Wood's goals from, come from the penalty spot as well? Like one against Wolves, like they're all like legitimate goals as well. So yeah, he's, he's got a good he's got a good fun. I mean, I thought thought it was a great goal at the weekend. Um, I've got quite a few friends who are Leeds fans who genuinely like they were quite gutted to lose mm. him. I know there's some Leeds fans who you'll always get the fans who go, oh, "I'll drive him there myself," but a lot of the, the sensible Leeds fans. Um, do really rate him, Robbie? Do you think? Do you think he? I mean, it's good for us, but do you think he could cut it at a, a higher club? I don't want to say better because we're ace, but you know, at a stronger club with who play more expansive football. Do you think? Um, I'm trying to think of a club off the top of my head, and I'm struggling to be honest. I think obviously we play to Chris Wood's strengths. Um, yeah. That I can't, I can't see him going to. I don't know, like a, a wolves. Potentially, a Wolves or a Leicester, or a, let's look at Leicester from the weekend. Yeah. Could you play one of those very fast? Say, wolves sides? who are a bit, um, Wolves are a strange one because obviously they get a lot of media attention, yet they're shit houses. Anything, um, obviously they're wow. they, 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 they're, they're quite direct to Wolves. You know, they like a a good uh, cynical challenge and stuff like that, and we get you know a lot of criticism for it, and Wolves get a lot of praise for it, just like Man City did with their cynical tackles, but. Yeah, I, I can't see Chris, I can't see Chris Wood doing it anywhere else. I just think he just suits the Dutch system perfectly, and obviously, he's always got a, a strike partner alongside him. Um, I think we rely on a lot of goals with with two strikers. Obviously, we saw in the um, in the cup game against Sheffield United the partnership between Vidra and Rodriguez, and you see that with uh, Barnes and Wood as well. Usually, yeah, definitely. Um, I just I just think he's. I just I think he's strong. I think he's technically excellent. I think he's got an incredible eye for goal, and I just think that he just doesn't get the the plaudits that he deserves. People people tend to not like commentators never really talk about him, and they never praise his goals. It, it definitely drives me mad, but but we'll see. Um, well, I think I'm, I'm going to leave I'm going to leave the Leicester performance there because I think there's not an awful lot to be said about it. I think Tom mentioned this quite convincingly and I agree with him we've been away at Leicester and played our strongest 11 and put in a fantastic performance and still come away with a loss um so it's certainly when losing away at this Leicester side is not going to determine our season it would have been nice to get off on a a winning start or at least get a point on the board but I'm not too concerned and I'm largely very encouraged by um that performance um but Tom, one thing that I, I want to come on to before we look at the cup games, one of the problems that we've talked about um, with that Leicester game was just the patched up squad that we had and two inexperienced centre halves. Eric Peters on the wing. We've now got both Good Munson and Brady. It's, you know, we're 45 minutes into our first Premier League game and both of our wingers are now out injured. And we'll come on to the, the, the Good Munson one when we talk about the cup. But this transfer situation now is becoming ridiculous. Yeah, the big problem with it was always going to be injuries and obviously starting the season with three or four injuries. Maybe it's partly a consequence of the 
the way the season finished last season and the fact that the pre-season has been so short because you wouldn't normally expect to be going into the season with so many injuries. And then obviously the fact that you've got two quite injury-prone players who have got injured right at the start of the season, they're both in the same position as well and it's a position that we know we need to strengthen. It's all put things into sharp focus. If you're a glass half full person, you might say, well, perhaps this is going to perhaps light a bit of a fire under the board and they're going to realise how kind of start the situation is now, how close we are getting to the deadline. I think there's two, maybe two and a half weeks till we can't actually bring anybody in and then we will be in trouble. So maybe if you're a, a an optimist, you could say that it's a good time for it to happen in that sense, that it's happened before the window's shut. We're not in a situation like we were a few years ago where we didn't buy a midfielder and then Marnie got injured as soon as the window had shut. But having said that, it shouldn't take injuries to Brady and Goodmanson to for the board to realise that we need three or four, you know, you know, two, three, four players in. So, um, yeah, uh, that's the only the only sort of positive I can take from the situation. Maybe it will put the urgency up a little bit. Maybe it will mean that the bids go up a little bit. Um, fingers crossed. That's that's the only positive we can take from it. And I suppose the fact that. It could have been worse for both of them. I think we were expecting Goodmanson to be out for a long time, but I think yeah. said it was going to be probably not as long as, as feared. And obviously Brady, if it settles down sooner rather than later, it's better that he's mm. got a crack rib than like a, a muscle tear or something like that. So, uh, yeah, Touchwood, we can rush him back soon. And Touchwood, yeah. as I say, it, uh, it has a bearing on the transfer policy before the window does show. Yeah, we've still got two weeks left. It's the 5th of October that we've got to, to get these over the line. So we have got time yet. I mean, we shouldn't. it shouldn't come as any surprise that Burnley are leaving the transfer work till late. They do it every single season. And it should be no surprise to us that finances are a problem because they are every single season. But it's just, it's getting beyond joke now. And I know I particularly expressed some frustration on social media at the weekend because I was just so fed up of this situation. Um and I, I just I just need an explanation as to why we, it feels like every season we're going backwards. The longer we spend in the Premier League, we should be getting healthier in terms of finances. We should be able and we should feel confident enough to increase transfer budgets. We should be smarter at identifying targets. We shouldn't still be looking at stock rejects. You know, we should be better now in the European market. We've had five years. We've got um, a director in there who is, you know, a chief scout who's supposed to be overseeing these transfers and it just feels that every single transfer window we get worse and not better um but Robbie the, the latest two that we're looking at bringing through um the one that looks like it's getting over the line is Dale Stevens from Brighton uh, is he 39 Dale Stevens a, a central midfield now on the face of it central midfield isn't really um an area that is vital at the moment to strengthen but I think we, we talked about this in the group chat over the weekend um that we do need some cover there generally speaking is that a good signing yeah I think it'd be a solid signing I think it also frees up um any if we if we do struggle with injuries out wide as well Josh Brown Hill can always uh cover cover um the right hand side again like he did uh for project restart for a couple of games um so I think that's probably in the thinking as well it's obviously not ideal with square pegs in round holes with Brown Hill but yeah, we thought it'd be four central midfielders with Cork, Westwood, Brownhill, and then um, uh, Dale Stevens. So I think, yeah, I think it'd be a solid signing. I think I saw it be around a million pounds as well. So a million pounds, sort of for a Dutch type. Obviously, Dutch rates him. Dutch has wanted him for quite a while now. We had like six, seven bids rejected for him in 2017, was it? So he's obviously yeah. Deitch obviously rates him. He's obviously he was obviously like a big target of Deitch a few years ago. So I mean, I've absolutely no doubt if Deitch if Deitch thinks he can still fit in this team, then who are we to question it? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And and like you say, I, I don't necessarily want to see Brownhill pushed out onto the wing, but at the moment Dash is just looking at things with trying to to balance and flexibility. Again, it's frustrating that that's the way that our transfer policy is going. Is that we're looking at, at trying to find utility players who can play out of position and cover. It's like for God's sake, can we not just buy players who actually play in their position? Um, but like you say, Stevens will be would be good cover, um, <clears throat> especially at the moment as Jack Cork's still injured as well, and we don't know when he's going to come back. Um, I, like I say, I don't. I think Brownhill's been an absolute 
shining light recently and I don't want to see him pushed out onto the wing but needs must at the moment and, and if it means us, us having to to fill bodies then then I don't mind that and like you say Robbie if, if it is a million that's just absolutely nothing and it's a no-brainer get him in um Tom the only other one that's that's sort of doing the rounds at the moment is our old friend Craig Dawson who's apparently back on the radar as cover centre half Again, I don't have any. He's an older player. He's experienced. He's likely to be relatively cheap. I'm not. I, don't, I think that's probably repeat as above, isn't it? With uh, with Stevens, probably the same sign in the same comments. Yeah, absolutely. I think a big thing with Dawson would be as well, um, especially after the Gibson situation. Is he happy to come and sit on the bench? Um, probably with him getting towards that age, he probably is. Um, you'd like to think maybe we'll keep Tarkovsky for at least another year. Obviously, Ben Mee's got a few years left in him as well. So if if we're not going to be breaking up the centre-half partnership this season um, and you want a decent, experienced replacement who's happy to come and sit on the bench, um, it's going to be tricky to may, maybe tricky to convince someone like Warrell from Nottingham Forest who's playing every week at the minute and in that age where it helps to keep playing to come and do that. So from that point of view, it makes sense. And then obviously, like you say, from a finances point of view, that kind of thing as well. So... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be unhappy with that. It would be, it would be nice if, um, if that did get over the line, maybe to get done or long alone, especially done if he could get alone, maybe at a higher level than he's been before the championship or something like that, another yeah. season under his belt, and get him a bit more ready for the top flight. Yeah, I think actually just picking up on that done done situation and possibly um, it, 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 what's it called a loan move out, Tom. We talked last week, um, I think we talked in the previous show as well about then not. We've always had a ready-made replacement to step up for, uh, you know, Tarky came in when we lost, um, what's he called? My brain's gone. Michael Keaton. Thank you. That's not real. I was going to say Michael Keaton. When we lost Batman to, <laughs> to Everton. Uh, yeah, So and, and but obviously at the moment we're a bit concerned that with Tarky not being there, you know, we didn't have anybody to step in. Well, Dawson would fill those shoes while Dunn does become that replacement. And what we saw at the weekend against Leicester, Dunn absolutely has the quality to be a really first-class defender. So I think just seven days in, that that situation feels a little bit brighter to me. Um Robbie, the only other thing that we talked about in terms of transfers in the group chat was probably the only two positions in the club that we're all completely happy with are forwards and the keepers. Um, So with that in mind, we're still a week down now. What is the minimum you think? What what is the minimum we think we need to sign just to get us to Christmas? The minimum Uh, that you would be happy with? Uh, we definitely need another wide man. I think that has, has to be a priority. Um, obviously, we Gunmanson out, Brady out. We only have Dwight McNeil as our fit, recognised winger. And obviously, there's, you know, imagine if he got injured and that would be it. If we'd have absolutely no one, we'd have Eric Peters and Matt Lawton on the white and wide out wide for us. So that's a that's an exciting prospect right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've. I've Definitely the wide man, backup centre half, and then I think that'd be pretty much it. I think I've, ideally I've, I'd want us to get two wingers, but I just don't think we'd get two. Um, so and nobody in the middle, just two wingers. Actually, if that's the minimum you'd be happy with. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think a central midfielder is absolutely like crucial. What if? What if Ashley Westwood gets injured? We've got, we got Eric. Don't, don't stop panicking. We've got Eric Peters. He can play everywhere. <laughs> stop. <laughs> got Eric Peters, Natalie. Eric Peters. He can play left back, left Here wing, right wing. <laughs> Eric Peters is like the new Graham Branch. Oh my lord! <laughs> this is this is why we don't invite Robbie on very often because he comes out with nuggets like this. Eric Peters will save central midfield. Uh, <laughs> Tom, same question to you. What is the minimum that you would be happy with if we just to get us through to Christmas, assuming we sign somebody else in Christmas? Yeah, assuming that it's not possible to clone Eric Peters and just ponder the three of him in the squad. Then <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fullback options, I would say, would be I think we definitely need a midfielder, a, a, at least one winger and a centre half. I think if we get them three, yeah, in, we'd be all right. Yeah. Anything on top yeah. of that bonus. But uh, yeah, that, they're the minimum for me. 
Yeah, well, that would that would do it. So if we brought in Dawson, we brought in Stevens, we've got both of those down the line, they would cover until Christmas thaws, and then we just need to find a, a wide man um, in the next two weeks, and that would... Yeah, I agree. And then if we can just genuinely keep hold of Tarky and genuinely start to try and get some of these injuries back. I tell you what worries me this injury list, I think. I know Dyke said in his interview today that he, he was he was definitely expecting some of these injured players to be back by now and it's taking longer than they thought. Well, I'm not being funny, but we've heard that before. Like Injuries always seem to take much, much longer. And I don't know whether it's that either we are too cautious or Dash's expectations aren't right or we don't get privy to the proper information. But is it me or does it always seem to be that we lose you know like players take months and months longer than we think they're going to do to come back i think part of it is daisha's like cautiousness uh we sort of see it as well with um like for example not playing young players not throwing them in even in the league cup he won't give him 10 minutes off the bench um i think he's the kind of manager who does not uh, uh, and uh, sorry another example would be signings you know like yeah we have to know everything about them we don't want to buy anyone that we don't know yeah. everything about so you'd say part part of the reason we don't get players in is his stubbornness and I think that's the same with injuries I think some managers might chuck people in I think some managers might think it's only a bruised toe you can play whereas Dice is I think a lot more fastidious and it probably serves as well in some instances it might be that we get less well I was about to say it might be that we guess get less recurring injuries, but obviously not in the case of some players. But uh, maybe overall it suits as well. I mean, it's just another one of Daesh's little idiosyncrasies. And, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those, um, if you don't love me at my worst, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best with Daesh, maybe. Oh, wow. Gosh, that was a, that, I loved that. I'm going to use that. I'm, I'm, I, should, I might even make the podcast. That's the title. <laughs> I, I like that one. Good, good, good one, Tom. Pulling that nugget out. Um, well, let's move on then briefly to the what else has happened this week. And of course, the Clarets have successfully progressed through to the next round of the Caribou Cup, beating Sheffield United. Um, Robbie, despite going down to um, a really early goal and also a really early injury to, to Johan, um, good battle by Burnley. And I think in the end, we would deserve to go through, albeit we had to go to penalties. But I think it was the right result in the end. Yeah, obviously we've we get a bit frustrated with our um, cup results or the lack of uh, cup runs in particular. Um, so to beat a, pre- a Premier League opposition, I think it's always pleasing. Um, we have a, another good opportunity to get through again tomorrow. I think obviously Millwall we should beat really. Um, but yeah, it seemed like a really good performance. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. all the penalties in particular were were converted. Um, quite comfortably where uh, none of them seem to square through a goalkeeper all like really good penalties no. uh, good penalties all yeah of that's always like pleasing to see I think obviously we don't get a lot of penalties so I don't know how often we practice them so to see all five converters is actually really uh, reassuring yeah definitely yeah, I was going to mention that Robin and certainly like people like Brady at the end who had to take that fifth penalty to, to uh, obviously if, if he missed it would go to sudden death but he was he was scoring to, to seal his victory to the next round I thought he looked cool as a cucumber especially as we talked about earlier that he hasn't been playing recently um let's take us back to, to early on then obviously I think I think I'm going to chalk off the early goal to just a bit of rustiness it was the first game we played back and and as we talked about earlier on it was it felt very much like a pre-season friendly um the injury to Johan Robert I've seen it so many times and I cannot believe it wasn't a red card I, I'm just I'm shocked yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a nasty one um I think we talked in the group chat about it didn't we and uh I think me and Tom were both in agreement that we don't think it's a red, or I think it'd be hypocritical to say that Ashley Barnes shouldn't have been sent off for the for the challenge on Matic four years ago, but say this is a red. I think it's very similar um, because it's basically just the, the motion, the, the sort of a follow through. Um, but as I think Dyke said in uh, in his post match comments, in terms of uh, modern day football, it is probably a red card. I think it's more amazing that he didn't get booked for it. Yeah, that's probably a good point. Actually, I, I still think I still think it's a red. I, I don't necessarily buy the comparison to, to four years ago. I think it's I think 
like you say, the game changes every season. I think in the current rules of the game, I think he has to see red there. And, and like I say, he's gone through the back of the of the poor lad's knee, and he's now going to be out for weeks. Um, but to yeah, to not even get a yellow card was just I just I just didn't massively understand. But then I guess I guess Tom, you look at that, and from the referee's mind, if it's serious enough of a foul that it needs to be a booking, then it's either a red or nothing. I, I don't think it is. I don't think that there is a happy medium there, is there? Maybe I'm being unfair. Yeah, I think he probably saw it the same way as me. And I think Dyche said as well, um, when he initially saw it, he he didn't think it was a red card. Um, I think it was, Dyche said it was only when he saw it back that probably in the modern day game it is a red. Um, maybe if we'd had, if it had been a Premier League game and, we, and we'd have had VAR, he might have been sent off for it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'm with Robbie. Like for me, I don't think he's, he's gone to do him there. Obviously, he's caught him on the follow through when he's played the ball, but, uh, me personally, I don't think it was uh, a, a sort of a snidey one. I think it's just a genuine sort of accident. And I think a red card would have been a bit harsh. I think if it had gone the other way and Ben Mee had done that, I think probably our fans might have enjoyed it slightly more. So, uh, yeah, for me, I can see why people think it was a red. And I'd probably agree with Dyche when he says that in the modern day game, it's a red, but yeah. I'm a bit more old fashioned. I think. I think I wonder whether I'm allowing the emotion of it to cloud my judgment of this and as fans we do this quite a lot but it's because it's good Munson and because it's another early start of the season where he's worked as hard as he can to get himself back fit and he's we're all talking again out oh having a good Munson fit is going to be like a new signing oh he's going to be key for us this season and 15 minutes into his first game, he's off on a stretch with oxygen. And I do wonder whether sometimes it's just the anger of that and the disappointment for him that makes me just want to punish the guy who did it to him as much as I can and think, send him off and ban him for three games because how dare you do that to Johan? Um, I mean, Tom, you've got to question the psychological blow that this is going to have on JBG. I mean, the poor guy just cannot catch a break, can he? Yeah, especially a lot of the noise in pre-season was that the kind of the niggles that had been sort of played with previously were uh, were kind of gone. They got to the root of what the problem was there. Um, obviously, I suppose the, the good thing you could say is at least it's not one of these where he's just tweaked a muscle and it suddenly it's out and it's an, another niggly injury. At least you can see why it's happened and it's hardly, you know, it's, it, that's one that would injure anybody. It's not just uh, that he's made a glass that he's yeah. that he's got injured there. It's something that if if uh, McNeil or Ward or anybody else took that, they'd, they'd, they'd be out for a few weeks as well. And yeah. the other good thing, obviously, when you see him on a stretcher, you think, Christ, so we're going to see him again this season. But Dyche said it was not as bad as first feared. So hopefully all that is kind of a bit more of an encouragement for the lads. He's obviously battled back really hard to, to get back previously. Uh, we've had examples of players in the past, like Danny Ings, I think he did his ACL twice in two different seasons and, and came back and was a, a top performer and he's still doing really well now. So hopefully... Those kind of those kind of figures can can be an inspiration for for JBG and he's and he'll be back fighting fit sooner rather than later. Yeah, definitely. And look at a classic, a good example in our squad as well. Jay, Jay had that awful period where he had that terrible injury, and then just as he was on his way back, got infected and put him back again. And he's unfairly been labelled as having um, being a crock or being prone to injury, and that's just not the case. He's only had one bad one, and look how high he's performing anyway. Um, and Robbie, speaking of Jay, um, I thought one of the absolute shining um, lights of that Sheffield United game was that continued relationship that's developing between Vidra and Jay. I just love watching those two play together, and I think they really complement each other. And of course, this time resulting in another brilliant Vidra goal. Yeah, I think they're both two of our most technically gifted players. Um, I think they both. Com- I think that's how they both complement each other. And I think that the fact that Jay can mix his play up as well because he has got that sort of aerial presence as well that he can go up for a header, that he can hold the ball up. That, is, that sort of suits Vidra too. Um, so when them two are in a partnership together, Jay can sort of play that sort of that number nine role as sort of Fidger can be the 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 little man of in 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 terms of the partnership. So yeah, you can sort of see that 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 partnership in particular like blossoming even more. Yeah, definitely. Um, Tom, <laughs> the only other thing that I want to talk about in the cup, obviously, is we're going to play Millwall um, tomorrow night. So I'm going to pose this question first. I keep saying tomorrow night, clearly, listeners, we're recording this on Tuesday, so it might be actually tonight if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Um, or last night, if, you, if you, you might be actually listening to this in the future and this was in the past, who knows. Um, 
Tom, obviously, there's been a lot of condensed fixtures with the Carabao Cup this season and a lot of the getting through these early rounds thick and fast. And we're in a very weird position where we know who our fourth round opponents are going to be before we've played the third round. And unbelievably, we've got City away again. I mean, come on. How unlucky can you get? Are we, I think we might be at home, actually, is it? Oh, is I it mean, home? Well, either yeah. way, it's still City. I think so, yeah. I mean, no, it doesn't really make any difference in this day and age anyway, does it? There's no fans there. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of a, a blow, wasn't it? I, I did see that Guardiola said after the, the game um, Monday night that uh, he's going to just play the kids. And to be fair, one of the oh, most really? annoying things about drawing Man City in the Cup every year is they seem to be the only team that play the best 11, or I suppose the squad's massive and they've got loads of good players, so... A very strong eleven in every cup game. So maybe if it's a case of because the games are so thick and fast and back to back that they are just playing the kids, maybe we'll have half a chance if we do get past Millwall. But having said that, I think we're going to play a few kids tomorrow night as well. So whether we get the chance to play Man City remains to be seen, I suppose. Well, you'd think, Tom, that even playing... Well, actually, two things with that. Number one, we haven't got that many players to choose from. So even even playing a Lord of the Kids, we're still going to have to fill at least half the team with our with our first-teamers. Um, you'd think even with a weaker team that we're going to have enough about us to get past Millwall. Um, edit, you can guarantee I've just completely jinxed us and this little nugget will go on social media by Matt when I've just jinxed the entire squad. But um, by the way, yeah, you'd expect us to get past Millwall. But Robbie, the question that leads that, that I was leading on to with this is that does that give a really weird dynamic now in that it kind of removes any incentive to get past Millwall tomorrow night because you're already knowing what your future is going to be and that you go oh great we get past Millwall and we have to play City the current holders in the cup again and probably get knocked out Uh, and in that sense does that change your build up to the game uh not really I think I'd I just I'd rather us go out against Man City than Millwall I think I'm sick to death of us going out against Lower league opposition against teams who we could be okay, beating. That's fair. Um, obviously, we've uh, we had Burton a couple of years ago. The Lincoln one still hurts. Accrington in the Carabao in the League Cup still annoys me. Um, and I just think if we went to Millwall and got beat, or sort of went to Millwall and didn't show up and just got turned over, then that'd be even more frustrating than getting beat five nil by Man City. Interesting. That's interesting, actually. I get that. I do understand that because you want to have pride in your performance, and you want you don't want to be laughed at by other fans. You know what I mean? It's like you want to to you want to prove to people that you are you know you do take your game seriously. You've got some talent, so I probably understand that. Um, I'm not sure how it's affected me, to be honest. I I, I think it's, actually, Tom, is that what you meant when you said we're going to play a lot of kids tomorrow night? Do you think that? that he will literally just treat it as a training session? Or did you just mean because of injuries? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I don't think he's got much choice to but to play at least some kids because he ain't got that many players. But I think it will rest a couple as well. So, yeah, I think, well, it'll be a mix of, uh, of experienced players and new team players, I think. Um, predictions then, Tom, do you think we've got enough? Do you share Robbie's enthusiasm? Do you think we've got enough to get past Millwall? Well, I thought we had enough to get past Accrington, Burton, Lincoln. <laughs> and look how that finished. So, I'd, yeah, I mean, I was encouraged by the performance against Sheffield United. Actually, I think we did play well in that game. So, if it's a similar kind of performance, then yeah, I'll give it. I'll, I'll give it barely two one. Excellent, Robbie. What are your thoughts then? Yeah, I have a, I have a little bit of faith in us. I'm gonna I'm gonna back us to yeah, win the I, game I, one. I'm agree now, and actually, I'm strangely encouraged by your um, comments that that Pep said he's going to play the kids because now I think I hope he does because I'd quite like to just beat them. I don't care if it's their under 11s. I'd just quite like to beat them and actually say that we're just psychologically we got past City at about the 12th time of asking in a cup game. Um, well, let us let us know what you think, listeners. Um, depending on when when you listen to this, I'd be interested to see what you guys think about that whole dynamic of knowing who your next round opponents opponents are going to be before you've played the fixture before. I know. You get that sometimes when you go to replay, but this is quite a unique position where everybody knows um, who their next round opponents are going to be. And I, I just if you if you've got any opinions on this or you share my bit of a weird, funny thinking about it, then drop me a tweet and let me know what you think. Um, the only other thing to cover, guys, is um, it is Tuesday, twenty second of September. We're recording this podcast, and as we speak, 
our Prime Minister is on air talking us through the latest in uh, COVID-19 lockdowns that have been put into place and stricter measures. And this has come with the announcement earlier on today that the planned reopening of um, football grounds so that fans could watch live sport has now been pushed back. We were due to start filling crowds again, sorry, filling the grounds from the 1st of October and that now will not happen. Um, it could be as long as six months um, before we're back in the stadiums. Premier League have responded by saying that that is a huge blow, um, that the that smaller clubs are going to and communities are going to suffer a lot by this continued reluctance to allow fans in the stadium. It is their view that actually, with the work that they've put in and the plans that they've got in place, that fans would actually be safer in a live football arena than they would be in some of the public places where they are allowed to be at the moment. Um, staggeringly, the Premier League are reporting that clubs, that they are losing about £100 million per month. And the Premier League as a brand lost £700 million in revenue last season because of the COVID lockdowns. Now, this cannot be allowed to go on for much longer. Um, it goes without saying, and we don't need to caveat this, that obviously everybody's health and safety is more important. But it does, Tom, feel a little bit galling when there's evidence out there to suggest that fans can enjoy a live football experience um, safer than they can do in some of the other social activities that they're currently allowed to do. Yeah, it's, uh, without wanting to get too political, it's a, a little bit hard to kind of follow the uh, the logic of, of some of what's been put down and the consistency of it. I mean, obviously, if it's if it's risky and it's going to cause problems and then people's health is, has got to come first. However much we'd all like to get back to, to watching football and however much we'd all like to be back at, at the turf, then it's not the most important thing. Um, but yeah, like you say, I mean, probably the pubs aren't the most important thing either and the, the sort of a two-hour um, early close on them, but but not a lot else. So uh, yeah, uh, from what I heard as well, there was a few test events in the Football League at the weekend. I, I saw the, the, um, the, the Football League highlights on Quest and that seemed to go pretty well, even if it was just you know just a thousand fans in in the grounds to start with, or or something like that, and and ballot around the season ticket holders. Even if you only get to get to a couple of games, it'd be better than nothing, surely, and a, a kind of a, a way to start ramping it up. But having said that, like I say, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not. I, I won't pretend to to know all the ins and outs of the R rate and all this kind of thing. So if it's deemed that it's better not to go ahead with it at this point, then you know that people's health has, has got to come first yeah sadly I think that's uh, that, that's probably right it just just feel I think everybody's just fed up at the moment aren't they and everybody it just feels like this has taken over such a long time now and so much of this year has been lost to this this horrible pandemic and it just felt like we were so close to, to getting over the line and then that's now been pushed back again so we'll see what happens um Robbie a final thoughts and on the finances before we go um you would have thought irrespective of our annoyance at the transfer policies um you would have thought that Burnley are pretty well placed to ride out um loss of revenue for a while if, if this continues yeah I hope so obviously we we don't really know the ins and outs in terms of the finances but I, I feel quietly I feel quite comfortable that the fact that Burnley will be able to see it out. Um, you know, we seem to see it out last time. Sean Dach always says we're in good shape and stuff. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it'll be a, all positive for us. Excellent. Well, I do hope it gets sorted out soon because I've missed my football family immensely. Some of them, well, I, I guess this is the same for most of you, but... The guys who I sit with around turf, we've all had the same season ticket seats for donkey's years. I've seen kids grow up from being little babies to being teenagers. We've got to know each other and they're my little football family and I, I miss everybody immensely. And I just, I miss that, you know, when, when Woody scored at, at Leicester, you know, I jumped off my sofa. It just missing that, uh, that euphoria that you get with your football family and the guys who sit around you and hugging your dad or your brother or your sister or your mom or your, your girlfriend or whoever it is that you're with at the football in that moment of ecstasy is something that we're all desperately missing. So fingers crossed we can get over this horrendous disease and we can get back as, as quickly as we can. Um, I think that's all we've got time for this week. Um, it's been a jam-packed episode looking at both of those. As ever, drop us your comments, any questions 
concerns. Actually, don't have any concerns. I've got enough on my plate. I'm only joking. Um, anything you want us to discuss, um, you know how to get hold of us. It's uh, tweet us at nonanever or email us on podcast at nonanever.net. My thanks as ever go to producer Matt, who puts together this podcast for us. And actually this week has been a hero and put together our agenda for us because we're all very busy at work. So thanks, Matt. Um, thanks to band Joyce, who give us our music um, each week. Again, uh, that is very much appreciated. To Tom and Robbie for giving up their time and coming on and discussing all things Claret and Blue with us. Thank you, boys. Um, but finally, to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this podcast. We would not be here without you and your support is very much appreciated. Next week, we will be back with another show, again, reviewing two games. We'll be looking at what happened in the third round of the Caribou Cup away at Millwall and we'll be hopefully discussing the first three points of the season at home to Southampton. Um, Dave and I will be back on Friday with the preview show looking ahead to both of those games um, and we will see you then. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Morning Never podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.